You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. Well, let's get our Bibles open. Philippians chapter 2. As you've already heard, this is the final message in our four-part series called Shooting Straight on Parenting. And uh, some of you are not parents. You're probably glad this is the final message. But I think all of us have learned about how our parents have affected us and now how we're affecting our children, if you are a parent. We've been learning from Psalm 127 that children are like what? I've lost my arrow. Let me go grab my arrow over here. Um, Children are like arrows in the hand of a warrior, which means parents are like warriors in the hand of God. And so as parents, you understand this. If you have kids, you are in a war. And now the children are not the enemy. They're the target of the enemy. And yet you have a weapon. It's called your children. And our desire as parents is to straighten them because they're bent. How many of your children are bent? Mine are. And I'm bent. They got that from me, right? And so we're bent. And so the job of a parent in the hand of God is to straighten the arrow, sharpen the arrow, which brings us to the last thing. And that's what we're talking about today is to actually send the arrow. Now, some of you say, I sent my arrow, but I found out that uh, it was actually a boomerang. It came back. How many of you had one of those? It came back. Yeah. I heard about this guy a couple of weeks ago. He kind of went viral. Um, It's this guy named um, um, Michael Rotondo. He's 30 years old, and um, he moved back in with his parents when he was 22. And for the last eight years, he's been living in his parents' basement. And approaching his 31st birthday, his parents were really trying to give him a vision to move out and get a job and take responsibility for yourself. But he just wouldn't do it. And so they ended up, they had to write him five different eviction notices and he still wouldn't move out and so they actually had to take him to court to get the authorities to um, enforce the eviction notice. He argued with the judge and just said, I'm not prepared, I'm not ready for this and his life's just so hard and it's dangerous out there. So he, he and they, they said, you've got to go. So anyway, you don't want to be like Michael. You don't want to raise kids like Michael. Our job as a parent is to send them out. The purpose of parenting is to aim our kids at the purposes of God and send them out for God's purposes in their lives. Now, I want you to see this here from the scripture, and I've asked you to open to Philippians chapter two. This is actually not a passage particularly on parenting, but you're going to see the analogy really clear. Um, Some of you may know that God used a man named Paul to write about half of the New Testament. And Paul, from time to time, would tell us about his team, his tribe. And one of the, his favorite people in his tribe was this guy named Timothy. He was a younger man, and it really was a spiritual father, Paul, who had a spiritual son, Timothy. And we read about him beginning here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. Look at what it says. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy. Everybody underline the word send in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you so that I may too be cheered by the news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. 
For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy's proven worth, how, a, how as a son with a father, do you see it there? As a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him, there it is again, underline it, in verse 23, send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. We're going to learn three things just from this passage of Scripture. And in just a moment, I'm going to invite Andrea to join me up here on the platform because we want to get super practical about how we can actually send these arrows out. At whatever age of parenting you're at, there's going to come this point where we release them, we send them. And Andrea's going to help me make that really practical here. But before she comes, let me just say this. We learned these four different types of parents. We don't want to be the permissive parent that's high in love, low in discipline. We don't want to be the authoritarian parent, high in discipline, low in love. We want to be a gospel-centered parent. We want to teach them the fear of the Lord through the parent's discipline. We want to teach them to walk in the ways of the Lord through a parent's instruction that requires a healthy balance of love and discipline. It's so hard to get that right. We've never really quite gotten it right. We strive for that. I hope you're striving for that. But we want to be a gospel-centered parent. Here's what we see from this passage. First of all, Parents need to send them out with hope in the Lord. Do you see it there in verse 19? He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy. He didn't have to say that. He could have just said, I hope to send Timothy to you. Or he just could have said, I'm sending Timothy to you. But he prefaced it with this, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you. Paul had a very vertical view of ministry. He put his confidence and his hope and his trust not in his ability, but in the Lord's ability for everything he could do. As a parent, we need to do the same. Our hope for our children is not in our ability to straighten them and sharpen them and send them. Our hope is in the Lord's ability unless the Lord builds the house. Parents are powerless to do anything that uh, God has given us as our responsibility. So our hope is in the Lord. You see, if you don't hope in the Lord, if you don't have a vertical understanding of parenting, here's what you're left with. You are left to hope in your own ability to straighten these kids. And if you haven't figured out yet you don't have enough ability to do that, one day you're going to wake up and realize you don't. But if you're not hoping in the Lord, do you know what it will cause you to be? It will cause you to be an overprotective parent, a parent who is not ready to let go of your children. And the reason is because you're not trusting God's ability is greater than your ability to protect them and to use them and even to send them straight even though they're flying crooked. An overprotective parent lives with the fear and the insecurity that something's going to happen to my kid if I'm right there on top of it to protect them and what if they skin their knee and who's going to give them a Band-Aid and, and, and the issues get bigger. So you don't want to be this overprotective parent that somehow thinks that 
the only hope my kids have is in me. No, we hope in the Lord as we send our children. You say, but isn't it the job of a parent to protect their children? Absolutely, your number one responsibility as a parent, especially when they are little, is to protect your children from danger. Does everybody understand that? My number one responsibility as a parent, I need to protect my children from danger. Everybody all in on that? Do that, do that well. Here's your second responsibility to prepare my children to be dangerous. Some of you are saying, my children are already dangerous. Things are on fire sometimes at our house and things are thrown and and there are bruises sometimes. I'm talking about a different kind of dangerous, okay? Not a danger to others, but a danger to the enemy. Do you understand that arrows are not safe? Arrows are not meant to be displayed on on the wall like artwork. Like, look how straight that arrow is. Look at the beauty of the, of the feathers. No, children are not accessories for parents. Children are weapons of parents. And once they fly, once they are released, they are meant to cause damage to the enemy's territory. You say, what do you mean dangerous? Let me put it this way. Do you remember the guy that Jesus raised from the dead? What was his name? Lazarus. You remember this guy? And he, he got sick and he died. Jesus showed up four days later and said, Lazarus, come out. And he comes out in the mummy suit, you know, walking out. And they unwrap him there. And he's alive. He once was dead, then he was alive. Now, how many of you think that guy could have made millions on a book tour, right? I mean, that, that guy was pretty, I mean, you stand him up at the Billy Graham crusade and let him share his testimony, right? And that guy could draw a crowd. As a matter of fact, he did. In John chapter 12, this is what it says. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came. But notice, <laughs> they didn't come to see Jesus. They came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus. You got to come see this guy that was dead and now he's alive. It says, whom he had raised from the dead. Then notice this. The chief priests, the religious leaders, made plans to put Lazarus to death. Now just think about that for a second. Jesus raised him from the dead. And the Pharisees said, we'll show you, we're going to kill him. Now, I'm sure Jesus was like, go ahead and try. You kill him, I'll raise him from the dead again. Well, if you raise him from the dead, we're going to kill him. Well, I'll just raise him from the dead. Can you imagine being Lazarus, you know, dead, alive, dead, alive, dead, and alive. I'm feeling like a pawn here. But Jesus is like, you do not want to pick a fight with Jesus. He wins every time. He is victorious over sin, death, the grave, okay? And so he raised Lazarus for that purpose, and he said that when he raised Lazarus, it was going to be for the glory of God. He said, the sickness was not unto death, but it is a sickness for the glory of God. Now, I want you to notice what happened. The reason why they wanted to put him to death is because Lazarus was dangerous. Notice, because on account of him, the, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. This guy was a weapon. Now, I don't know what your goal is for your children, My goal is that they would be so straight and so sharp that on account of them, many would believe 
in Jesus. I'm not raising my kids to survive the world. I'm raising my kids to change the world. I want them to be dangerous for the glory of God. And I want them when they show up that people are like, we're gonna have to kill them. They're, they're way too effective here. They're causing damage to the, to the things that we love and we know that God hates. And so we need to make sure that we have high goals for our children. The first modern American missionary to India and later Burma was a guy named Adoniram Judson. Now, before he went to India, he fell in love with a young lady named Anne, and he wanted to marry her. And so he made an appointment with her father and asked for permission to marry his daughter. All right, now, if you're a dad, just feel the tension in just that statement, okay? It, it's like, okay, I, I'm not, you're going to have to really impress me with the proposal. This is what Adoniram Judson said to Anne's father before he left to go on the mission field with his daughter. He said, I have now to ask you whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Now, dads, how many of you at that point, conversation's over, okay? <laughs> the answer's no. You, you, no, you cannot take her away from me. He goes on. Whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and to her subjection to the hardships and suffering of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, to persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Now, at this point, what are you going to say? He continues. Can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you? For the sake of the perishing, immortal souls? For the sake of the glory of God? Can you consent to all of this in hope to soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamations of praise which shall resound to her Savior from the heathens saved through her means from the eternal woe and despair? Now what are you going to say? Can you release your daughter and your son into the hand of God to be used for the purposes of God as we hope in the Lord that he is better able to protect them and equip them than even we are. Here's the second thing. Send them towards something greater than themselves. Look at verse 20. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. You know, it's characteristic of children that they seek their own interest. How many of you have noticed this? They're a little selfish. Yeah, that's the biggest problem. 
So the job of parenting is to get their focus off of themselves and onto others and to realize you are just a speck of dust on the canvas of God's creation and you are valued and love and have intrinsic worth as you are created in the image of God but God has a purpose for you beyond consuming the creation on yourself. And if you find a child who has any concern for anyone but himself, you will find a parent that has loved him and disciplined him to help him understand there's something greater than living for yourself. We aim them at others. We aim them at the needs of others in the world. One of the things that we've tried to train our children to do is how to walk in a room. Have you told your children how to walk in a room? You walk in a room, you survey the room, you look for the person in the room who doesn't have a friend, you look for the person in the room that looks like they're the most needy, and you move toward that person. That's how you walk in a room. That's how you live your life. If you are on mission with God, because that's what God does. He moves toward the ones who are needy and humble and broken. That's a gospel-centered life, is to aim them at something greater than themselves. Many of you know the name uh, Jim Elliott, who was also a missionary from America, and he married Elizabeth, and at the age of 27, they relocated to South America to try to engage an unreached, savage, cannibalistic, people group there who'd never had access to the gospel. So they went there. Before they went, Jim talked to his parents. Mom, dad, here's what God's called me to do. Here's how that conversation went. He said, I do not wonder that you were saddened at the word of my going to South America. This is nothing else than what the Lord Jesus warned us when he told the disciples that they must become so infatuated with the kingdom and following him that all their other allegiances must become as though they were not. And he never excluded the family tie. In fact, those loves which we regard as closest, he told us must become as hate in comparison with our desires to uphold his cause. Grieve not then if your sons seem to desert you, but rejoice rather that seeing the will of God done gladly. Remember how the psalmist described children? He said that they were as a heritage from the Lord and that every man should be happy who has a quiver full of them. And what is a quiver full of but? arrows and what are arrows but for to shoot so with the strong arms of prayer draw the bowstring back and let the arrows fly all of them straight at the enemy's hosts and Jim Elliot was shot as an arrow and we're still talking about it because of the courage and the conviction that he had for the gospel. Here's the last thing. Send them to serve the purposes of the gospel. 
So in verse 22, we read, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. Now, what would you expect him to write after that? He's just bragged on how useful Timothy is to him, how he has served him, how he's brought great comfort, how he's made him more effective because of Timothy's service to him in the gospel. You would expect him to write, so don't you even think about taking him away from me. That's not what he writes. He says, you know how he's proven himself to be so faithful as a son with a father has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him. Because Paul understood there was an opportunity, there was a group that Timothy could go serve and it would have a broader impact on the gospel. And he was going to serve the local church there in Philippi. I want to invite Andrea to come up here. We want to make this really super practical as best we can here. And so I'm just going to start with uh, answering, the, I'm going to ask the question, let Andrea answer it here. Um, how can we as parents prepare for that awful moment when we actually let them fly? How do we turn loose of these so children we love so much? We're actually talking about this together on the way we had just left our third child at college and he's asking me questions, we're talking back and forth and I literally can barely get a word out because I'm just sobbing because I've just left my child. So um, I, what I'm saying, this is not easy. I'm not saying this from a distance. I'm saying this living up close right now. and. Um, I think that um, one of the ways that it helps us to prepare the whole way through to release them is to have the end goal in mind. It's what we've been talking about these four weeks. What is the end goal? The end goal is to send them out. And from the very first moment you get that little baby in your arms, I know you remember that as a mom or um, as a dad, even getting that child in your arms and they're just treasures and you have no idea the talents they have or the abilities or what God has created them to do, but he knows. And so from that very moment, you're like, okay, God, thank you. Thank you for giving me this. Thank you for entrusting me for just these few short years. Help me every day, daily, to be putting a biblical mindset into them, a heart for others. So when I do release them, they're ready to go. So it's, it's an everyday thing, thinking of the end goal. And I think God's very gracious to us, he lets us release them gradually. Like even when we take them to the nursery for the first time, you give them, you hand them off, knowing it's just a short time, and then you get to take them back. And then they go off to school and they're gone longer periods of time. And God's very gracious to help both us and our children, because it's not really fair to our children either if we so smother them and we so keep them, and then they're 18 and we're like, see ya. It's a gradual process, really, for both of us. Yeah, you loosen your grip every day, from day one to day 1,000, day 2,000. It's a little more, you have to release your grip. Some of us are not great at releasing the grip, and the reason is because we are finding our identity in our control over our kids. If I didn't have this kid to throw my life into, I wouldn't have anything else to live for. That's a problem. And so God gives us these children as a temporary gift, and one day we're gonna release them back to him. But if you can't release them occasionally, 
temporarily, that is, means you're not putting your trust and your confidence, your hope in the Lord, that while you're away from them, the Lord can take care of them. And so we need to learn to gradually release them. That's right. Um, also, I think just um, what, what prevents us from letting go of our children? So let's say it's time, they're 18, they're 20, what, what prevents us from doing that? I think, first of all, just not having a biblical mindset, not leaning into what the Word of God says. So both in um, Genesis chapter 2 and also in Ephesians 5, we find this verse. It says, and a man shall leave his father and mother. So God's saying it to us both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's telling us something about the way we need to live our lives. That means financially, emotionally, in priorities. We've got to let go of the, the family and cling to the next season, the husband, the wife, the next stage that God's bringing you in. I remember we were doing some um, marriage counseling with a couple. They'd been married for 40 years. And during that time, the woman looked over at her husband and just with the most icy tone you can imagine, she said, in 40 years, you have never once considered me above considering your parents first. And the man couldn't deny it. Think of the damage over 40 years that had happened in that marriage. So we have to leave in every way. And then also, um, I think just being so child-centered in our lives, when we become so child-centered that there's not room for anything else, we cannot let them go at the end. Um, and this is subtle. It happens so subtly. Um, even yesterday, um, I was trying to get somewhere, and finally I just thought, I can't do it. I cannot do it. It's just too hard. I can't get this child in the right place. I can't get the dog taken care of. I'm going to have to say no to my husband and the goal that I'm reaching for. Because of the dog? Yes. I, mean, I could understand the kid thing, but it, the, the dog was the problem? The dog is more needy than the children yes. many days. Yes. And so... Um, and I caught myself, I was like, wait a minute, what is the bigger goal? Like, I'm getting caught up on these little things, what's the bigger goal? The bigger goal is here. This is the one flesh relationship. The bigger goal is God's kingdom purposes. Now that doesn't mean we neglect our children in any way, but if we're so entangled with our children that we can't serve God or we can't, um, reach out to others because we're so focused on our kids, that's a problem. And then it's time for the children to leave, but we've let this marriage relationship erode so much that there's nothing there. And so we can't let our kids go. Yeah, if you've thrown your life so much into your kids and then the kids finally do go and then you look at what you come home to is a stranger, because for 20 years you've neglected this relationship, then you've placed the parent-child relationship is a higher priority than the husband-wife relationship. Do you get it? Husband-wife relationship is a permanent relationship. I know this is a new concept, but permanent, permanent relationship, husband-wife, parent-child relationship, temporary relationship. And so you should never allow the parent-child relationship to take priority over the husband-wife relationship. And the truth is your children want you to prioritize the husband-wife relationship. They find security when mom and dad are on the same page. But they don't act like it. They don't, and but they, they will thank you for it between. when they're 27. Yes, yes. 
<laughs> cool. All right. So here's another question. Here's another question. How can the church and the family partner together in preparing these arrows to be sent toward the purposes of God? Now, some of you, your relationship with this church is a consumer relationship. You view this church the same way that you view the grocery store. Once a week, you load up the car, you get some spiritual groceries, and then the rest of the week, you, you consume what you got here. Now, if you are a new believer, welcome to the church. We're so glad you're here. You can suck the life out of us for a little while. And yet, there is a moment when you become not just a consumer, but a contributor to what God is doing in his body. And yet, if you just kind of come and consume, do you know what you're communicating to your children? You're communicating to them that God and his community is really not all that important. And if you are just a consumer, when your children do finally leave, they will neither be a consumer or a contributor. But if you will make this a place where you actually partner together for the gospel purposes in community and make sure your children are a part of that, then your children will continue to be contributors to the church long after they leave. Every statistic proves that. We hear statistics all the time, 85% of church kids quit going to church after they leave church. Well, yeah, but what kind of church did they grow up in and how much involvement. Just because you drag your kids here during the week doesn't mean that you are a contributor. So I want to encourage you to communicate to your children, this is not just a place where we come to consume. This is a place where we come to contribute. I know so many families, I'm looking into the faces of so many families, when the tires of your car roll onto the parking lot and you open the door and the kids fall out on the parking lot and you send them in here, they scatter in this place to actually serve and to contribute. There are armies of people that make this thing happen on a Sunday, on a Wednesday, through the week, on mission trips. That's what we're trying to do in partnering together. Every family is going to have multiple communities that you're a part of. And in each of those communities, the children will either feel like they are a visitor or they actually belong. So I ask you the question, does your child feel like he belongs at school or is a visitor at school? Does he feel like he belongs at the church or he belongs at the school and he visits church? We want this place to be so vibrant and so full of the presence of God that this is the place we belong and every other place is just a place where we visit. Whether it's band practice or robotics class or maybe it's extended families you know, that don't have the same values that we have here. When you come here, we want to feel like the current, the stream, everybody's moving this way. We have the same value system that the kid just plops in. It's like, yeah, we're all going in the same direction. We don't want that kid to feel like these people are weird. And I feel like I'm swimming upstream when I'm, when we're, when I'm here. No, we want the kid to feel like that when he's at school. It's like, yeah, I got to go jump in the river over here, but it's going to be swimming upstream there. And so every kid has these different communities and we want to partner together. And if you will do that, then what you will find is the other families in this community are going to help create this current to get your kids in the right place. Andrea saw an Instagram picture 
a couple of weeks ago, and uh, here, here was the picture, and it's a picture of two-year-old Audrey on the floor with X number of years old Matt. Matt is an elder in our church. He's a successful businessman in our community. He's already raised his two-year-old children, and some of them are flying away. And look, nobody's forcing him to do this, but he's on the floor engaging this two-year-old just as an investment. This is what we do as a family. I care about what's going on in your family. You're helping to raise my kids and I'm helping to raise your kids. And we all have this similar uh, value system. We're all aligned going in the same place. Listen, you don't get that kind of alignment if you just show up here on Sunday and just get your groceries and go home. And so there's an opportunity to throw in, even as a family, in so many different ways. As a matter of fact, I I was talking to Michelle Helmkamp that was up here earlier. Did you know that we have 300 volunteers that staff the Harvest Kids area while we're in here worshiping? And they rotate about once a month is kind of the normal schedule. Some serve multiple times or multiple services. But about 300 volunteers. How many of you are part of that team? How many are part of that army? Yeah, look at this army of people here. And I, Michelle was telling me this week, um, we, we, we're staffed at about 90%. In other words, we need another 30 people to join that army, especially with the little ones. You don't even have to have an education to do this. You just have to be able to hold a baby. Um, and we've got training. That's why you need to be here for E3 in a couple of Saturdays and the training that's going on there. And so throw in. You say you're trying to staff the church. No, I'm not. I'm trying to help you raise your kids because your kids need to see the family serving in what matters most. And so take advantage of those times. Um, Did you know that there's 458 people that volunteer on the parking lot, ushers, and greeters? We need 50 more as we start the new ministry year by September. So contact um, Lonnie Mullins, just talk to one of our pastors, call the church office, say, I want to be on a team. And guess what? High schoolers can do that. Middle schoolers can do that. Even in the nursery area, all these different ways that we can serve together as a family. And while we want to have our kids feel at home here, they feel at home with the family of God, you can do that through church. Um, one of the things I loved is we usually had a bigger community of Christians that we were able to expose our kids to. So they got to see, we're not alone. We're not doing this alone. We're not, we're not the only ones trying to follow Christ. And that looks like just going to Christian camps and letting your kids get a bigger worldview. Um, That looks like even serving in small groups. One of my daughters has gone to the same house every Monday night for over two years. And every time she comes back, she's amazed. She's like, I love it that their family is trying to raise their kids just like you guys tried to raise us. Yes, get your eyes up. We're not in isolation here. But not only that they feel at home among the people of God, but also that we're looking out to how do we serve? How do we get out of our home and get into the community? And there's so many ways to do this with your kids. Um, In the public schools, they have big brothers, big sisters. My kids loved doing that. They jump on a bus, go down to an inner city school and get to be with other kids. They're safe families that our families can actually bring a kid into our home, a foster kid or adoption, just so many different things. I remember one time um, I wanted to get my kids involved in the community, so I found a day that they didn't have school, and I called up a homeless shelter and I said, hey, 
could I bring my kids and could we serve lunch? And they said, yes. My kids didn't want to go. They're complaining the whole way. They're fighting over who gets the front seat, what music they're going to listen to, all this stuff. And we finally get there, and I'm like, what, what was I thinking? And we serve the lunch, and then it's time to go. And I watch Zach, like, sprint toward the car, and he opens the front car door, and he's like, Brooke, would you like to have the front seat? What music would you like to listen to? I'll do the iPod, but you guys can pick the songs. Everything changed. What happened? They got their eyes off themselves. They got their eyes off their little world, and it gave them compassion and kindness to look out for other people. One more question. Um, do you see these parents out here? They're, they're, most of them are doing everything they can to apply this, and they want to do it right. And some of them have some knucklehead kids that aren't listening to them. What would you say to them? Um, we've been there multiple times. Um, we might even be there right now. And um, <laughs> um, I, <laughs> there are just times and seasons when there's nothing you can say, really. They're not listening. And um, we were in a season like this, and the Lord gave me Job 36.10, and it says, He opens their ears to instruction and commands that they return from their iniquity. He opens their ears. And I just felt like the Lord said, Andrea, you have been talking and preparing and praying and trying to show them the right way all this time, all these years. We're talking teenagers. We're talking older kids. And I just felt like the Lord said, they may not be listening to you right now, but they can hear me. You've got them in youth group. They're having their quiet times. They're serving in different small groups. They're around wise people. If we walk with the wise, we will grow wise. But a companion of fools suffers harm. They're in the right places. So I just need to be quiet. They know. I've told them. They've heard. I just need to be quiet and pray. Because maybe they're not going to hear me, but they're going to hear the Holy Spirit. God can speak. They can hear him when they can't hear me. It doesn't mean you stop instructing. It doesn't mean you stop disciplining. You love them, you're, in, you're, you're involved in their life, you're asking the questions, but you can't force somebody to listen. And what we've learned is none of our children really seemed to listen to us when they were teenagers, but they, they were listening, they heard it. And now as they've gotten older, they're like quoting stuff back to us about the stuff we said. I wanna give you a couple of tools as we kind of wrap this up here, okay? Because um, this is the final message in the parenting series. What are we gonna do next week? We're gonna, we need parenting advice, right? Well, listen, now it's the, the baton is to you. It's not the church's responsibility to make disciples of your children. That's your responsibility. And so just a couple of things. I'll tell you what we're doing right now. We, this is a book. It's called The New City Catechism. Uh, it's 52 catechisms in here. A catechism is just simply a question. The answer is provided. You read a scripture, and there's like a one-page devotional. And so at dinner every night, I'm just opening this up, and I'm reading that to our family. We take about 10 minutes to discuss what's there. We pray and we go on. And most of the time, nobody's listening, but I'm reading it anyway. And, and last night we went around the table. Um, Scott had one of his friends over. We just all shared our testimony because it was just kind of directly related to this. And so that kid got to hear us share our testimony, he got to hear the gospel. And that just because he didn't know what he was going to get when he came up for dinner. But that's what he got. So that's what we do as a family. And so I, this is in our resource center. It's right out there. Um, I don't even know. How, this is probably 10 or 15 bucks. I don't know. There's an app. Every bit of the content in this book is on a free app called the New City Catechism. 
You just, just put it on your phone. It's just free. And, um, and then one more thing. Um, you know, Andrea and I are part of this wonderful organization out of Little Rock, Arkansas called Family Life. And Family Life just has mountains of material that you can access for free online. And a brand new resource Family Life has produced is an eight session series called The Art of Parenting. And I want to encourage some of you as groups, young couples that maybe have some kids, get together and do this as a, as, as a group or as a couple. If you're in a small group, you, this could be your next curriculum. You can do this as a small group. But here's the great thing. Um, you can do it online, just mom and dad sitting in front of a computer for about 30 minutes every night, interacting with the questions that are there, and it's absolutely free. Andrew and I are doing this right now. We're walking through those sessions because we got kids, and they're not done. They're still in the oven. So the art of parenting <laughs> is... No, you're, you're not that kind of... So, anyway, the art of parenting. That's not an announcement in church. They're not done. In conjunction with the art of parenting, my friend Matt Hammett, who has led worship on this stage before, he's written a song that kind of sums up everything we've been talking about in, uh, in this series. And I just want you to lean in as parents and to listen and let this be the final charge for us to do what the Holy Spirit has convicted us to do and even to pray for our kids as you lean in and listen. Let this be the final charge. 